Good morning. Today we're continuing a series of lessons on Satan. Last week we began and we looked at what Satan isn't. Uh, sometimes we give Satan far too much credit for, uh, for things that he's simply not able to do. He isn't all present. He is not all powerful. He is not all knowing. And sometimes we think of him as having those abilities, but he doesn't. Sometimes we think of him as a sort of evil, bizarro God, but he's very, very far from that. He is not God's match in any way, and his fight against God is not one that he is able to win. That's what the Lord has told us in His Word. That's what we found last week as we studied. And with all that being understood, our Scripture reading this morning teaches us and gives us a caution concerning our discussions and our studies and our view of Satan. There's a saying that a person can be too big for their britches. Uh, I remember any time that a parent of mine was the butt of one of my jokes, that was being too big for your britches. You're not remembering whose house you live under. You're not remembering what they can do to you. Uh, and oftentimes pain followed. And so you, you've got the idea of being too big for your britches. You understand that and you don't want to be that in the way that you speak about Satan. You don't want to be that in the way you speak about Satan. And we would learn well from Jude 1 verse 9, which says, Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, some people are very daring these days. I was talking with Jim Pitt just yesterday, and, uh, and I told him I would use this because it fits so well. You ever been at a green light at an intersection, and all of a sudden someone dares to step in front of you as you're going, getting ready to cross into it? That's that pedestrians always have the right of way sort of thing, but I was always taught when a car's coming, you don't go out in front of it because you'll die. Somehow that lesson got lost on a whole lot of people. And they dare to step out in front of a moving vehicle, right? And they may look at you or maybe they'll just turn away. But they're very daring to do such a thing. Michael the archangel didn't dare to pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That choice of words that he didn't dare to do it, that's very deliberate on God's part. And I want to show you a couple other places where that phrase, that word appears in Scripture. One in Matthew 22, verse 46. This is where Jesus has asked a question of the Pharisees. You remember they were always coming to Him, trying to trap Him and ask Him questions that He just couldn't answer without offending people. And Well, He's turned the tables this time and He's asked them a question about David and whose son is the Messiah. Well, He's David's son. And He says, well, how does He call Him Lord then? In this passage. And no one could answer Him. And in verse, 20, or verse 46 of Matthew 22 says no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. There's a certain amount of respect implied there. They now understood the level of intelligence they were dealing with, the level of wisdom that existed in Christ. And they didn't dare ask him a question 
Because they simply understood that it's almost like they didn't belong. They weren't in the same class. Acts chapter 5 verse 13 is the second that I'll look at with you. Acts 5 verse 13. It's after the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And they were, they were put to death by God because of their deception. Because they lied to Him. And concerning the apostles after the death of Ananias and Sapphira, they carried them out, they buried them. Acts 5 verse 13 says, but none of the rest, that is, none of the rest of the church dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And so in this case, you have a great level of respect and admiration for the apostles because they understand the level of power that exists in them. They understand the relationship with God that they have. And that to deal with the apostles is, in this time, to deal with God Himself. And so they didn't dare associate with them. Daring to do something or not daring to do something is about knowing... And showing the proper respect for the person or being that you are dealing with. The apostles were infused with power, authority, and wisdom from God. Jesus was God in the flesh. His wisdom, His understanding caused the Pharisees not to dare to question Him. Because they understood the being. And Michael the archangel considered the devil as one to be respected. To the point that he would not rebuke him himself or speak against him on his own authority, but instead let the rebuke come from the Lord himself. Now, it's important to understand the respect we're talking about for Satan is, is not one that carries any admiration for anything that he's done. He's done nothing that would be worthy of our admiration or of our. Uh, of our gratitude or anything good like that that you might associate with the word respect. All this respect is is an understanding of the being. An understanding of the one we are dealing with. Michael understood who he was dealing with and what authority he had and what authority he didn't have. We should do the same. We should understand who Satan is and who we're dealing with so that we will show the proper respect, not overstepping as some did in the book of Jude, not speaking against angelic majesties or anything that we don't have the right or authority to speak against. Rather show the proper respect, hold our place and submit to God in the process. So this morning we're talking about what Satan is. We would be fools to consider Satan to be unintelligent or to be weak. And we would be wrong to speak flippantly concerning him. There is something that goes along with last week's lesson that I need to bring into the first part of this one. And that is that Satan is a created being. We established last week that he is not God uh, and not an evil God sort of person. He is a created being. Is something we need to tack on to that. In John 1, 1 through 4, 
we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so the Word which, which is revealed as Jesus in John 1 verse 14 is God the Creator. And everything that is not God, which we have already established Satan is not he is not God. Everything that's not God was created by Him. And that tells us at least two things that we need to recognize about Satan right off the bat. And that is, number one, he is a created being. God created him. And number two, when he was created, at least for a moment, he was good. And then he chose very, very quickly to turn against God and behave in ways that are evil and dark. And so make that note in your mind about Satan and your understanding of him that he is a created being. And now let's get into some more thoughts here about what Satan is. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 identifies Satan as our enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, that's your enemy, the one who stands opposed to you. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And he wants to devour you and me. We are the ones he's seeking to devour. We are the ones he's standing against. He is our enemy and he is not a physical one. You know, if he was a physical enemy that I could see and touch and perhaps even kill, perhaps we might say, let's gather together the pitchforks and go get Satan. But he's not a physical enemy. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Our enemy is Satan, according to 1 Peter 5. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The heavenly places are spiritual places. Places that we cannot see or touch with our human ability. They are beyond us. And that is where our battle occurs. It is where our enemy lives. And it's what type of enemy we're fighting against. He's a spiritual enemy. And his tactics are very crafty. They're full of lies and deception. In John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus is speaking to some Jews who've gathered there. And he tells them in John 8 44, you are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Why is he the father of lies? Because he told the first one. 
First lie that was ever told came out of the mouth of Satan himself. Why is he a murderer? Because he tempted the first human souls into spiritual death through sin. He is a liar. He will never speak the truth without twisting it just enough to make it point you away from God. That's his speciality. Remember in the garden, and and we'll talk more about this perhaps in a moment, but in the garden, remember, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. There's a lot of truth in that statement except for one word, the word not. He just twisted it just enough so that it pointed them directly in the opposite way of God. That's his speciality. He's a liar. He's deceptive. He is a deceptive spiritual enemy and he knows exactly what tempts mankind. And he will tell us every lie under the sun to entice us to embrace the sinful things that we desire. The things that we want. Now let's go back to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3 and we'll read starting in verse 4. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 4. Back in the Garden of Eden, you have the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, created by God, placed in the garden, told they can eat from any tree except for the one. Genesis 3 verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And notice what the woman sees. He says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. I want to to just think with you for a second. The things that I tend to do, the things that I tend to want to do, are usually one of three things. Either I think it will help my body. I think it's going to make me feel good. I think it's going to help my body soothe the aches and pains. You know, we go to great lengths to soothe the aches and pains. If I think it will help my body, that's something that I will probably want to do. If I think it looks good, or it will make me look good. Right? That's why so many dresses get bought. That's why they've got deceptive mirrors in the dressing rooms. If I think it looks good, I want it. And if I think it will make me smarter, or make me seem smarter... I want it, right? There was a there've been scams where people sell bottles and bottles of brain helping pills to college kids because the kids don't want to study. They just want to get the brain function going and they'll just absorb it all. Well, they're usually just sugar pills. But they're charging a premium price for them because people want things that they think will make them smarter. And if it is all three, If I think it's going to make my body better or feel better. If I think it looks good or it will look good with me. And if I think it will make me smarter or seem smarter. If it's all three of those, it's going to be really hard to turn me away from it. I'm going to think it's really something grand. 
That's what happened to Eve. And there's only one thing that could have helped her. There's only one thing that could have helped her and we won't spend a lot of time today delving into this side of things because it's part of next week's lesson, but there's one thing that could have helped her and that's found in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. What could have helped Eve? The Word of God. The clarity offered by it. The standard offered by it. The parameters for a good life that are shown by it. But she was deceived. She was deceived into thinking something that was bad was good. And she ate and her husband ate. And spiritual death occurred for them both. I want you to think about something with me. Until God communicates His will to us concerning what's right, concerning what's good, and what's wrong, we have a very difficult time deciding where that line is. We have a very difficult time drawing that line ourselves because what usually is our focus is will it help me? Does it look good? Will it make me smarter or make other people think I'm smarter. That's what we focus on. And so we focus on those things and we draw a a very skewed line on our own until God should provide a straight one. That's why our nation is struggling with our law system and with all the things that they're changing and moving here and there is because they've left behind the standard. They've left behind the straight line for a line that can be decided by what's good for me and what I want. I want you to know that God has defined some things for us. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, He gives us a list. He gives us a a long list, three verses long to be exact, 19 through 21. He gives us a list of all the deeds of the flesh, all the things that will keep us out of the kingdom of God. And he tells it to us very plainly, gives us word by word by word by word. Series of lessons have been given on those words. And why? Well, someone have you believe because we've already conquered all those things and we're good Christian people now. If you talk to any honest person, they will tell you they struggle with one and probably many of the things in the list of Galatians 5, 19-21. If you're talking to an honest person, whether it's a member of the church or any human being for that matter, they'll tell you they struggle with those things because those are what tempt us. And you may say, well, thanks a lot. God, you really gave the devil a whole lot of work. You know, it took care of a lot of work for him. You told us all the places that were weak. And that's something else about Satan. He already knows. He knew where we were weak. From the very beginning, from the very lie he told in the Garden of Eden, he knew where we were weak. He knew what would tempt us, but we didn't. God has given us all of the teachings in His Word so that we would be informed about ourselves. So that we would know where we are weak. 
and where we need to defend so that we can stand against the devil. God has given us a great victory in that sense. Given us a great victory over sin and Satan if we will just follow His ways. And you see, Satan has seen all of that. He knows that now we have a lot of information. He knows that we are able to find God if we seek Him. But He wants to prove a point. And He wants to use you to do it. In Job chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. You realize Satan didn't really have anything against Job. He, could, he couldn't care any less what happens to Job. It's of no consequence to him other than to prove a point to God that he can make Job turn against him. Other than to prove a point and be able to say to God, I told you so. I told you He would turn against you if you did this. I told you. I know them that well. And that's all He gets from our sins. He doesn't get any better standing. He doesn't get any less punishment. He just gets to look at God and say, I told you so. I told you I could do it. I told you they'd turn against you. If you take this from them, if you give this to them, if you do this to them, or if you let me do it. He gets the satisfaction of seeing us turn against God and willingly run into the fires of hell to suffer with Him for all eternity. That's all He gets. He gets to prove a point to God that He can take you from Him. Well, really, not even that He can take you from Him, but that He can make you want to leave. And that's the saddest part of the whole thing. Satan can't do anything to take you out of the hands of God. But if you want to leave, God can't stop you either. And so Satan wants to make you want to leave and prove a point to God that you will. Satan is a cunning and crafty spiritual enemy whose only desire is to see you willingly reject God and jump into the fires of hell. And he knows just what to say to you, just what to do to you, just what to take from you, or just what to give to you to make you want to do it. And so the message this morning is very simple. You need to know your enemy. And you need, you need to not give him the satisfaction of your rebellion against God. 
Don't give Him that satisfaction. God cares for you. God sacrificed even His own Son for you. Satan has done nothing for you. He has given nothing for you. He will never give or do anything beneficial for you. And if you live faithfully to God until death, there's good news. You're never going to have to deal with Satan again. And with so many having passed on so recently, that's one more thing that gives us hope and joy about them is that we know that they don't have to deal with the enemy ever again. Never again do they have to be tempted towards sin. Never again do they have to deal with the cunning and craftiness of Satan. Because they were faithful. And now they're with their father. Be faithful until death. Because God has said that He's prepared the fires of hell for the devil and his angels in Matthew 25, 41. And you certainly don't want to go there. Because there, you can never escape the company of the devil as you burn and as you suffer. Today, as we close our lesson, don't jump out of the pew and into the fire. Don't do it. If you need to obey the gospel for the first time, by repenting of your sins, confessing your belief in Jesus as the Son of God, and being baptized in His name for the forgiveness of your sins, will help you in that will aid you to accomplish that because that brings you to God. That brings you into His kingdom by His power. And He will save you in the day of judgment. And if you're a child of God this morning who's turned against Him in any way, He has promised to receive you back if you'll return to Him. There's no reason to keep walking in the darkness as a child of God if you'll come back He'll receive you again. He'll forgive you again. And He will protect you again. So if you have any spiritual need this morning, we pray that you'll make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing.